Hello and welcome to the Parent Perspective podcast brought to you by Amazing Apprenticeships and Not Going to Uni. I'm Rachel Burden and this is the podcast that gives you, the parents and carers, everything you need to know to help your children make the right choices after leaving school. From apprenticeships to T-levels, traineeships, work experience and how to fund your choice, whatever role you play in supporting our young people, we've got you covered. Plus, we'll talk about how to support your child through what is often a really challenging time and give you the tools to cope with your little one or not so little one flying the nest. So coming up in episode three, it's all about the money. Whether you and your child are looking at an apprenticeship, a T-level, a traineeship, work experience or even university, you might be wondering what the costs are that are involved, what funding or bursaries are available and what they might be paid while they train. That's a key point. If that's you, then we've got you covered right here. And to talk about all of this, we've got Anna Morrison from Amazing Apprenticeships back with us. I'm also joined by Alison Dunn, who's the CEO of Citizens Advice Gateshead, and Sam Sykes, who's the Digital Learning Manager at UCAS. Hello, everyone. Hi, Rachel. Uh, Really good to have you all with us. And I think clearly money is an absolutely kind of critical question that parents will have in their heads when it comes to helping their children make choices at this stage in their lives. But it's also sometimes the thing we don't really want to talk about directly or don't know who to ask the right questions to. So Anna, can you start things off for us, given that you've got a brilliant overview? Um, first of all, let's just once again through go through the different options available to children post-16. And can you give us a kind of brief rundown of the cost implications for those? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Rachel. So you've listed some of them in your introduction there. So um, I guess if we group them into three different categories, so there might be the options that are fully funded by the government, by the state. So options like staying at school and perhaps leaving school and going to an FE college, undertaking a traineeship or a T-level. Those should all be options if you leave school at 16 that you can access that are fully funded. So the costs that you might incur will depend on where you live and and kind of how you're going to travel around, for example. So there can sometimes be travel bursaries or travel cards that individuals can access in an area. Um, There could be things like lunch costs. Of course, with some of those providers, you may be entitled to free school meals or that free meal entitlement that continues as well. So. So there are those options. If we group those ones together, then I guess we could think about uh, university, really well known, but will have costs associated with it for the individuals. So uh, there are many different ways that those costs might be funded. And I'm sure Sam will talk through some of those options. But yeah, you know, really transparently, there is a cost associated with full time university study. And then the other one, the third one, I guess, is apprenticeships. And that's where you're getting paid to study. So it's quite different. You will be working usually full time. You'll be employed on a contract of employment and you will be earning a salary. Now, for any of those options, whether it's uh, staying at school or college, going to university or doing an apprenticeship, there could be other discretionary support Um, or kind of well-publicised support packages that you might be able to access as an individual, but it will usually depend on your own individual circumstances. And the question I have straight away is, is there a standard rate at which you're paid if you're doing an apprenticeship, or does it vary uh, depending on the role? It varies. This is one of the biggest questions we get and probably one of the most frustrating areas for individuals. Now, 
The government has set what's called a national minimum wage for apprentices. So this is slightly different to the normal national minimum wage. There's loads of information on gov.uk. But this rate, £4.81 currently, it is reviewed annually. It's, it does sound low, doesn't it? It's actually higher than we've ever had for apprenticeships, which is a good thing. But many would argue that it's not high enough. Now, the reason it is lower than the normal national minimum wage is it's supposed to reflect the fact that the employer is putting in a huge amount of investment. So they're covering your training costs. They are releasing you from typical work to be able to undertake your off the job learning. And um, but it does put a lot of people off, actually, the, the thought that an apprenticeship could be low paid. Now, the good news is the majority of employers don't offer that national minimum wage. Sure, there are certain sectors, certain levels of apprenticeships where perhaps it might be slightly lower. But we're seeing a much more competitive market emerge where employers are really recognising that if they want to find the best talent for their organisation, they need to put together a package that's going to really attract individuals to apply for their positions. That's not just salary, though. It's the, the whole package, the entire apprenticeship package. So all of the terms and conditions that could be holiday. It could be pension, although we do find a lot of young people aren't necessarily interested in pension. Sometimes it's more about the perks that go with the job, like access to company car schemes or getting their own laptop or perhaps having gym membership paid for. So there's all sorts of ways that employers try to build their apprenticeship package to make it more appealing for individuals to apply for. Alison, you're very much in the game of answering questions. I know that. So when people come to you at Citizens Advice looking for help on a subject like this, what kind of queries do you typically get? Well, we have three main queries for this client group. The first is not that different from the queries that we get for everyone, and that relates to universal credit. That's one of our most sought after questions that people want help with. The next is around apprentices who are being asked to find work actually. They've got an apprenticeship and yet they're having conversations with DWP about whether they're going to find a job. And then the final one is around child benefit and whether actually a family can continue to claim child benefit whilst the young person has an apprenticeship. Um, the thing about the conversation about whether people are being asked to find work or not is often one which surprises people because you would think if you have an apprenticeship, why is that conversation even happening? And actually, if you're an apprentice and you're working 30 hours a week, then there shouldn't really be any requirement for you to fulfill any work-related activity if you're claiming universal credit. But if you are working, say, 28 hours and you may be expected perhaps to do some home learning, then that can sometimes trigger a conversation as part of universal credit about conditionality and whether actually you should be looking for work, doing job searches, taking extra courses, making yourself more attractive to employers. So even though you're already in an apprenticeship, that is something that you might come across. So what I would say to anyone who finds themselves in that situation, you know, do try to negotiate, particularly if you've got circumstances around childcare, caring responsibilities, disabilities, if you're a care leaver, have a conversation. And if you find that too difficult, then find an advocate, somebody that you can take along with you who can have that conversation on your behalf. But effectively, you can still claim universal credit and do an apprenticeship at the same time. You certainly can, but the rates are not as generous when you are under 18.
it can be very difficult for people who are under 18 years of age to establish a claim for universal credit. Um, they have to show firstly that they're financially estranged from their parents and that the, the parents don't support them financially. So largely this tends to limit claims to those who've had to move out of home suddenly or perhaps those who've had social services involvement, care leavers, that sort of situation. And universal credit payments for young people who are under 25 are significantly lower. So the amount paid for living expenses, known as the standard or personal allowance, is only £265.31 for those under 25. Whereas for someone over 25, it's £334.91 for a single person. Now, the reason for that is that universal credit assumes that living costs would be lower when you are under 25, but that's not the case for a lot of claimants, especially if they're living independently. If you're living on your own and you're heating your home, that cost is the same whether the house is full or whether you're the only person in it. You know, so it's a bit of a flawed assumption, but it is really important for the under 25s to recognise that although they are eligible for universal credit, it won't be at the standard rate. Understood. And as ever, go to Citizens Advice if you want to get more sort of personalised advice around any of this. It's probably quite a good way to manage it. And actually, let's let's address now that issue of, of child benefit. So if you have a child as a parent and that child goes into some kind of apprenticeship or traineeship, how does that affect child benefit? Yeah, so families can claim child benefit if their young person is 16 to 18 and doing T-levels and traineeships in England. However, Unlike families who have a child at school or college, a young person doing a paid apprenticeship aged 16 to 18 does not qualify for child benefit in any circumstance. It's probably worth spelling it out. The difference between a traineeship and apprenticeship is, Anna, you're paid for an apprenticeship. Would that be right, basically? Yeah, I mean, an apprenticeship is a, yeah, you are paid and um, and it's a much longer programme. A traineeship is really designed to act as a bit of a springboard to get you into employment. Now, some traineeships are paid and increasingly right. we're finding that young people um, don't want to go on a traineeship and spend that kind of amount of time not receiving anything. So again, this is on the employer and the employer can make a contribution, they can uh, find other ways to support that individual. So perhaps paying for their transport costs or providing them with a clothing allowance or paying for their lunches, for example. So there are other ways that they can contribute to that programme as well. It doesn't always have to be salary. Got you. But if you receive any kind of income, does that affect your eligibility for child benefit, Alison? Income, as in salary, wages, definitely... Yeah, anything. So if you're being paid through a traineeship or paid through an apprenticeship, that may affect uh, the parent or carer's ability to claim. That's right. Yes. OK, that, that's just useful. That's the kind of, you know, as a bottom line. And then, uh, as I say, you, you may well need to go to, to your local DWP office or to Citizens Advice, somewhere like that, to find out more specific information. Um, Let's bring you, Sam, into the conversation here. You obviously come at this from a slightly different perspective, but funding is absolutely fundamental for any parent or carer helping their child make a choice about going on into education or to university. How how difficult do you think it is for parents uh, these days to get their heads around, I suppose, um, what's required in terms of funding? 
Yeah, I think it's difficult also considering there's such variation and the changes that have happened in terms of uh, higher education tuition fees, for example, and the increases in those. Um, I think uh, the funding can always feel like it's complicated. I think actually uh, the advice and guidance out there from across all of the, uh, the student finance organisations, and there is some slight differences as to where you are in the UK as well. So Student Finance England, Student Finance Wales, Student Finance Northern Ireland, and then uh, Scotland, uh, it's the Students Award Agency Scotland. And there are some slight differences in, in how, in what you will receive for tuition fees based on where you are in the UK. But broadly speaking, uh, you know, tuition fees will be covered by a loan. Uh, which will then be paid back when the individual starts earning above the required threshold. It does attract interest in the way that any other loan would, um, but that is, you know, monitored by the government. Uh, and it's seen as a scheme to encourage people to move into higher education to say, you know, yes, you can't pay those tuition fees up front. Uh, so look at it as an investment in your career and investment in your long term future. The, the applications are actually quite straightforward. Uh, there are differences depending on your personal circumstances. So broadly speaking, everybody, um, it, take England as example, uh, you would receive a tuition fee loan that is paid directly to the university or college. And then you are also eligible to apply for a maintenance loan and that would be paid directly to you. And that's for covering costs of such as accommodation, food, books, those sorts of things. And those um, maintenance loans, can I just ask? Yeah. Do they generally cover the whole cost of um, your kind of basic living, like accommodation and essentials, or not quite? I, I imagine not quite. Uh, so if you are currently, if we, if we look at this year, it will also depend as to whether you are living with your parents, if you're living in London, outside London. So there is some slight variations in the, in the actual amount. Um, but if you look at the 2022-23 rate, if you are, let's just say, studying outside London and not living with your parents, as an example, you would get up to £9,706 as your maintenance loan, which uh, when you look at some of the costs of accommodation in some areas of the UK, it is unlikely that maintenance loan is going to perhaps cover absolutely everything that you might need to fund. Uh, and this is obviously separate to that tuition fee loan. So yes, you do have to consider the costs of where you're going. And there are grants available, aren't there? If we're just looking at universities, and then I want to talk about grants, Anna, that you can tell us about as well. Yeah, I think it's really important to consider that. And actually, we've done some surveys at UCAS and we know that actually, you know, the number of students actually investigating scholarships, bursaries and grants is not as high as it could be. And there's definitely money that's not being used by young people when they're considering moving into higher education. So a scholarship is something that's usually paid by a university or college, but also local organisations as well might fund scholarships in particular areas. They are usually connected to academic ability or perhaps sporting ability, therefore a, a purpose really. Uh, a, a bursary is uh, normally a one-off payment and it's usually given to support people to um, help with progression into higher education. They might be from uh, lower household income backgrounds or it might be due to personal circumstances, uh, potentially disabled students or if you're from a particular region in the UK. And then you've got these grants, which again are, again, a different type of payment. Now, 
what's difficult and it can be confusing for, for young people but also for parents carers and guardians is how do I find out how do I find out about these scholarships these bursaries and the grants and unfortunately there's no single source of truth uh, so it's legwork guys uh, and I would just say there is lots of pockets there's charities that offer all of these local organizations um, and universities and colleges will have their own funds as well. So for me, the biggest thing with this with this is if you think you're gonna need a bit of additional income support uh, to, to progress into higher education, is really early on in that research process, ask those questions. As a university or college, what do you have? What bursaries do you have? What scholarships do you have? Uh, approach local organizations, uh, research. But if you're doing a particular subject area, are there any subject groups within that, any professional organizations and start that research early because applications will be individual for all of them and usually have a deadline themselves so a bit of work involved but worth it absolutely, absolutely worth it yeah, yeah yeah and Anna then what about if university is not your option are there still those bursaries and grants and when I say grant I think it's worth saying as well because we use the word a grant basically means a lump of cash someone gives to you it's not a loan so are those kinds of things available uh, for a apprenticeships, trainee schemes, that kind of thing. There are indeed. And I was just reflecting, we're not helpful, are we, with the language? It essentially all means the same thing, but uh, has got a different word attached to it. So absolutely, whether you are in full-time college or whether you've gone onto an apprenticeship, there are different uh, types of funding, basically, that you can access to support you. So um, some of that will be really well publicised. So some of it will say, you know, literally, if you meet this criteria, you can apply for this. And, and it will be very obvious and probably publicised on a website or a flyer or something. Um, but then we have this thing called discretionary support. So that is at the provider's discretion. And it means you need to make your needs made aware to them. So whatever that might be, uh, you need to be really open and honest so that they can help to direct you and support you to that, um, that funding that might be available for you to access. So for example, we have something called the Care Leaver Bursary. So uh, it's a government fund and it means that um, as the individual apprentice, you could be eligible to access a thousand pounds. Now, um, there are criteria that are applied by the government and your training provider and your employer would be able to help you to work out what you need to do and if you are eligible. But again, you're going to need to tell someone that you are a care leaver. So there's an element of, you know, being able to be really honest and open and upfront about some of this stuff so that you can be directed to the best support available for you. And there's also another scheme, uh, NUS, well-known National Union students, there's an NUS Apprentice Extra Card. So just because you're an apprentice doesn't mean you can't access all of those benefits. So for £11 a year or £19 for two years, absolute bargain, you get access to all of the same discounts that other students do, which I think some apprentices, and this is apprentices of any age as well, it's not just limited to younger people, uh, you can get those discounts in clothes shops and eateries and travel and you know there's a huge amount of discounts that you can also access as well often the employer will pay for the NUS apprentice extra card for their apprentice as well that's a great tip Ooh. really worth knowing about um, now in all this discussion Alison uh, and particularly at the moment with cost of living challenges it's really important that young people from low-income households are not put off 
choosing the right path for them because of financial concerns and financial pressures. How do you help guide families and young people through those choices? I think that the important thing is that when they come to us for help with this sort of problem, we look at the family as a whole. So yes, absolutely, it's about the young person and how we help them to make their choice, but it's a household income that we're looking at and the impact that this decision might have on the whole household. So we can provide this thing called a quick benefit calculator where we will look at the household income as a whole, give advice on income maximisation to the family. So look at what's going out, what's coming in, give them tips and ideas about how they might reprioritise some of their expenses, talk to them about how to negotiate with some of their creditors if things are getting a bit tricky, help them to do that, in fact, if they don't feel able to do it themselves. So yes, this is about a, you know, a career path, a learning path for the young person. But actually, when it comes up to money, looking at the household as a whole is really, really important. And there will be a fair bit that we can do within that. As I've said, budgeting, income maximisation, checking benefits. We can sometimes access charitable grants for families. So if there's a need within the family, it could be something like there might be a caring responsibility within the household. We can help to ease some of that pressure. But we can also access energy tariffs sometimes that members of the public can't, and that will sometimes give a more favourable rate for energy, which is really topical at the moment. And right now, there's a thing out there called the Household Support Fund, which is funded by government. All local authorities have access to this. Unfortunately, every local scheme is different. So again, people will have to go to their local revenues and benefits team within the council or to their local citizens advice to find out how that scheme works. But it's a very generous scheme in as much as the only criteria is that somebody might be at risk of going cold or hungry. It's not means tested. You don't have to be on benefits to access it. But there will be local policies, as I say, about how they're distributing that money. But that can be used for any essential household expense. So it could be gas. It could be electricity. It could be education expenses. It could be uniform. It could be broadband expenses, if that's something that a young person needed to be able to do study. It could even be things like a winter coat or warm bedding. So it's very, very broad. It's basically any essential household expense or pressure that the household might be coming up against, um, that fund can help with. So, so that's time limited, um, but that's available right now. I suppose the other important thing to try and remember in all of this, and, and, and you sort of referred to it earlier, Anna, but let me ask you, Sam, about it, is... is is trying to frame it as an investment for the future. Sometimes it can feel a bit overwhelming at the start because of the financial um, responsibilities that you take on. But it is all about building towards having more options in the future, I guess. Absolutely. And I think there's never been a more exciting time to think about what might I do if I'm leaving school or college with all of the pathways that are now presented. So traineeships, apprenticeships at all different levels. So we've obviously got apprenticeships all the way up to degree apprenticeships now, which represent such an amazing route to achieve an undergraduate degree whilst not having, you know, tuition loan or, or tuition fees to pay. But also even within higher education, there's more options for part time 
real-time learning, flexi learning, distance learning, online learning. So there's more and more ways that you can say, I want to invest in my future. I believe that might be by going into higher education and achieving a qualification uh, you know, at whatever level it might be for that individual, what's right for me? What's my situation? Uh, you know, in addition to tuition loans and maintenance loans, if you are from a, a lower income household, there are special support grants and maintenance grants that you can apply to that are means tested depending on your household income. I think with all of this, what pathways right for me is about that planning and that research. So what am I interested in doing? That might be a subject area, a course, area or it might be about a particular role um, within an industry okay well what routes have I got to do that I could do an apprenticeship I could go to higher education how could I how could I go to university or college could I go locally do I want to move away could I do it online is there another option now what are my associated costs for each of those what opportunities have I got for funding for each of those I've done additional research to see if I can maximize bursaries scholarships grants and whatever other names we're calling all of these things because there is so much you know I am in a difficult situation so I've reached out to citizens advice within the UCAS application there is the opportunity to share that you are from a care experience background to share that you're estranged to share that you have parenting or caring responsibilities and I would encourage on an application form to share that information at the point of application to ensure that universities and colleges can also signpost you to the student services, the wellbeing support as well. Because I think it's, it is about obviously funding, but it's about that wellbeing as well. And our question, will most applications um, have a section where they say, you know, please let us know about any kind of, of your personal circumstances that you feel that you might need extra support with. Will that be there and quite so, well signposted? Yeah, within the UCAS application, the section's called More About You. And within right. that section, you have the opportunity to share that you have a disability or a mental health condition uh, and that whether you are from a, a particular individual uh, group. So that might be you are a refugee and asylum seeker. You have parenting or caring, caring responsibilities. That is new for this year. Uh, and that's been done uh, to support students from a wide range of different backgrounds to progress into higher education. Universities and colleges want that information to say, OK, I, this student might need additional support and it can trigger uh, financial support. But it can also trigger things like we've got 365 days a year accommodation for you because you're estranged or because you're care experienced. It could be we've got access to learning materials for you. We can give you a laptop. We can give you a parking space because you might have physical uh, you know mobility issues so all of these things is making sure you know that they're getting that support and advice and being signposted as early in the journey as possible because if we, if we think about higher education and the UCAS application specifically you've got five choices you you will pick a firm and insurance right so you want to make sure that your firm and insurance are the best places for you and everything we've just talked about finance accessibility um, the learning experience will play into that that choice so they've got to have you know all of that information in order to make that choice yeah so those kind of support mechanisms need to be clear before you can then actually make your choice as well potentially yeah. And Anna, we've talked a lot about the responsibility on the individual, the young person or the family to try and um, find out about 
available financial support and options that are available to them. Um, but what about the government? What more could the government do to, well, I suppose from your perspective, support businesses or encourage businesses to support young people financially? And that's a great point, isn't it? Um, because we used to have a very generous apprenticeship incentive for employers, which sadly finished earlier this year. And um, the current national incentive for employers taking on a 16 to 18 year old or 19 to 24 year old with an education, health and care plan or a care lever is £1,000. Now, a lot of research out there says that £1,000 is not enough to make a difference to an employer, really. It's a kind of nice to have. And lots of employers will pass that on to their apprentice, actually. They will use that as perhaps a kind of bonus scheme. You know, when, when you're halfway through, we'll give you some of it. And then when you're at the end, we'll give you another payment. Um, I think there's an awful lot more that, in, that the government could be doing to really incentivize SMEs. When we saw... Um, during the pandemic, we had a program called Kickstart, which funded an employer to employ an individual for up to 25 hours a week and the salary and the pension costs were covered. It was a really fantastic scheme. It also supported the employer with the associated costs of taking on that individual. So laptop and equipment and all of those things. It would be great to see our government do something as ambitious as that again. Um, but, you know, they've got a lot on their plate at the moment. So let's see what comes through. Um, in addition to that, though, we what we do find is that a lot of local areas, as Sam was alluding to, they we don't have to wait for national incentives. There's a lot of local stuff that will happen. So perhaps through councils or local authorities or other funding routes, local enterprise partnerships, even sector bodies. So people like the construction industry training board, CITB, you know, they've all taken the initiative to put on their own incentives for employers um, and they will vary across different areas and it's not a blanket approach at all. So again, you're going to have to do your research, but, you know, lots of local areas are actually taking it upon themselves to make that change rather than waiting for the government to do something centrally. So I suppose to sum it all up then, um, as ever with these conversations, it's about, as Sam mentioned, really focusing on in on uh, what feels like the right path for you, what you love, what you're interested in. But then beyond that, when you're looking at the financial implications, it's about asking those questions. And if you are more vulnerable for, for whatever reason financially, it's about being really open about that, feeling confident that you can share that information, because actually that could well lead to, to more support for you. And um, and there are loads of places that you can find out about all of this. So, Sam, you mentioned universities. Alison, Citizens Advice is always a brilliant way to start. And I think Citizens Advice may be from a sort of whole household perspective as well, not just the individual. Uh, and, and Anna, as you say, lots of places to pick out. But I guess when you look at different trainee, trainee schemes or you look, look at different apprenticeships, you'll begin to sort of unpick what's there. Are, are there any other final words of advice that you'd like to give when it comes to money? for children looking at post-16 options? What we'd established is that apprenticeships were not equal. So, you know, they have to be really careful about making sure that they're doing their due diligence. Check the small print with any potential employer, whether it's someone who's employing you as an apprentice or in, in a job. Check the company credentials. Check the terms and conditions of employment. Do your due diligence. Find out about the reputation of the company 
if you can find someone who works there, who you can have a conversation with about what it's like to work in that company, the culture of the organization, how it supports and grows, not just your skills and talents, but actually your income potential and over what period of time. And again, you know, when you talk to somebody about a young person about checking terms and conditions of employment, that sounds very legalistic. Again, there are loads of organisations out there that can help a young person to do that. Citizens Advice is one of many that, you know, we've mentioned several throughout the course of this conversation. So it does require a bit of work, but there is lots of help out of there. But you have to have to check the small print to make sure that you're getting the best possible deal because salaries, terms and conditions can vary significantly. That's sound advice. Uh, Anna, did you want to come in? I, yeah, I can't remember if I said this at the beginning, but um, an apprentice will never pay for their training. Uh, it's obvious to me, it's second nature, but actually, um, you know, as an apprentice, there is a cost associated with your training, sure, and at any of the levels that Sam set out, you know, right the way from level two through to your level seven as a master's level apprenticeship. But those costs will always be covered by either the government, your employer, or a combination of both. So as the individual, you won't have those costs. You'll actually be paid to learn. So it's really worth bearing in mind if if, if the thought of, of, I suppose, living with a chunk of, of debt is really a big issue for you, then this is a, a really key consideration. Although, Sam, I suppose from your point of view at UCAS, you don't want people really to think of it like that. No, we absolutely do. And what we want to do at UCAS is to say, here are your choices. These are your options for post-18. We are not just about higher education. We run a number of student-facing sessions where we are uh, doing exactly that, getting apprentices in to say, this is my experience. And because often a question I get asked is, what's the experience like? Is it like being at university? And actually, we've got young apprentices coming in and saying, no, it's different, but it's great. I've still got a social life. I'm still meeting new people. I'm still experiencing something. But you have got the added bonus of not having your tuition fees. Uh, you know, those are covered. For us, it's about making sure that you know, people post 18 can see their options side by side to make the comparison we've all been talking about uh, and weigh up the options for what's right for them. Brilliant. That is all so helpful. I can't tell you. Thank you so much to all of you, to Sam, to Anna, to Alison as well. So I hope that all of you listening to that as well have found it really informative. And it's also given you an idea of where else to go to if you need extra information on any of this, because we can't answer absolutely every single question about every single different traineeship or scheme or apprenticeship but it is a really really good starting point what, what we've heard today as always we're keen here on parent perspective to feature as many parents as we possibly can in this series so if you want to get involved if you have any particular questions you would like us to answer then do go to amazing apprenticeships on social media that's at amazing apps uk or find not going to uni which is at not going to uni uh, and just use the hashtag parent perspective. Thank you very much to all of you. See you again soon.